Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Be seated. Well, I gather from conversations around the parish that children are back in school in one form or another. And uh, so I have you in my thoughts and prayers. Uh, Father Daniel and the family will be home, I think, Monday, Tuesday this week. And so uh, next weekend I will be uh, in Atlanta, unfortunately missing the Feast of the Dormition, but uh, down filling in for a priest who's had a death in the family and has to be away. So anyway, I will carry you in my thoughts and prayers. Today we have uh, a miracle story, a healing of uh, some blind men uh, and healing of someone who had a demon and was possessed and was not able to speak. He heals them. This actually comes in a, a, a chapter of the gospel that has a whole collection of healing stories. We heard last Sunday, Father Deacon preached on it about the paralytic that was let down uh, by friends through the roof and was healed. Uh, and so this story really belongs in that same collection. It's just in the, in the chapter beyond it. Um, and it's an interesting collection to think about. And they happen in the context, just as we heard today, uh, where there are uh, people, uh, Pharisees specifically, complaining about this. In today's gospel, their complaint is, ah, he's just doing this by the power of the devil. Well... <laughs> That's easy to say, isn't it? You know, it's people who can't walk can suddenly walk. People who can't see can see. People who can't speak can speak. Uh, and, and all you have to say is he's doing it by the power of the devil. Uh, well, that's how, how insightful. Um, <laughs> there's always somebody out there that knows so much um, these guys would have had Facebook accounts these days, but um, <laughs> you know, Jesus came through. <laughs> it's the double. And I say, oh my gosh. Oh me. He's with us. He is with us. I wanted to think, though, uh, some about the context of these things, of what's going on. You have people who are hurt and are broken, wounded in various ways in these collections of stories. At a certain point, Jesus uh, in this collection says that I have come, uh, that, that only those who need a physician, for, for those who need a physician, I've come for the sick, not for the well. And so, if you will, the well are standing by and complaining, and the sick are doing fine. Everywhere he goes. It begins, uh, this collection, with the story we heard last week of the paralytic. And there Jesus said to the person who was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. Uh, and adds to that later, uh, that rise, take up your bed and walk. Sort of connecting and saying that this, this whole thing is about your brokenness. And so he's healed. Uh, a little further down, uh, Jesus calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, speaking of broken people and, uh, you know, kind of messed up characters on the edge of Israel. He calls Matthew to be uh, one of his disciples and follows that up uh, by eating, uh, having a meal 
with a bunch of tax collectors uh, and sinners. I've always wondered when it just says and sinners, what exactly was included in that group? I guess it's sort of like friends of tax collectors, right? I mean, it's like tax collectors and sinners. Um, they go together in the New Testament. Uh, but uh, someone came in, one of the Pharisees said to his disciples, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's like in, in fine upstanding Judaism of the time, you would have nothing to do with those people. You would really avoid them. I don't ever have anything to do with them. But here Jesus is with them. And Jesus heard it, and he's said to that, um, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. They don't need a doctor, but those who were sick said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there's a way in saying, you guys can go on home now, uh, since you're so well, and... uh, doing fine, no sin, and righteous, because I haven't come here to talk to you. I come for these others. And this theme continues on. The uh, next in this collection of stories, he's headed somewhere, and a woman touches his garment, a woman who had a flow of blood, and she was healed. Um, a man had come to him, a, centur- a, a ruler of the synagogue, uh, and the, he said, my daughter's sick. And Jesus going to his house, that's when he heals this woman, but he goes to the house uh, and raises her from the dead. And a boy, it, you know, it, it just on the stories go, the paralytic, Matthew's called, woman with the blood, now a girl raised from the dead. And then we get to this passage we heard today in the gospel. Someone who is blind, who is healed and receives his sight. Someone who cannot speak, who was healed and is able to speak. Well, the importance in this, I think for us, uh, is the importance for us to understand that somewhere in that collection of stories is in this collection of broken, hurt, wounded, paralyzed, blind, mute people is where we belong. Uh, Jesus said, I haven't come for the righteous. Uh, I have noted over the years in the culture in which we live, uh, we very, very much value the righteous. We just don't call it righteous unless you're like a, you know, a brother. And uh, back in my 60s, hippie days, we'd say he was a righteous dude. And, uh, but that's probably very passe uh, now. Nobody's a righteous dude anymore, um, except in really old movies. Um, but um, like all the way back to the 80s, they say things like that. He was a righteous dude. But we have other words for it. We talk about excellence and achievement uh, and all of these other sorts of things, your, your gifts and talent surveys, uh, all this sort of stuff. We love that. We like to be first. We like to be talented. You know, it's a, it's a, I remember when we had our children, you know, back in the day, back starting in the 80s, and our first child just seemed to be so smart. Uh, 
And, you know, we were kind of thrilled with, with Mary. I mean, it's only later as an adult we discovered what her handicap was. Uh, we were so blinded by the fact that she made A's that we just didn't notice some things. She noticed them later, and now we see them. Our second daughter was born. About age five, sitting at the dinner table one night, I, we were living in Durham. I noticed her eyes fluttering in a certain pattern that I recognized because I was working at Duke Hospital at the time in the clinical neurophysiology uh, lab as a medical secretary, working my way through school again. And uh, I recognized this is a brain event. Something's wrong with my daughter's brain. It's like this, it, we had her diagnosed three days later because I could get her in at Duke, and uh, it was pedimol epilepsy. And, you know, and so suddenly, you know, oops, I thought they were all going to be, you know, bright, smart, and perfect. Now I've got one who was having absence seizures. James comes along, our third child, and he's rolling along doing fine, active little boy. In fact, so active, we just thought he is a boy. And uh, only to discover he's so active, even in school, he's not just a boy, he's an ADHD boy. You know, put him in the altar. Um, so. <laughs> Oh, well, years I always called the altar my ADHD holding pen. Because uh, so, you know, because all the boys in there like me, I didn't know I had it too, uh, but all the boys in there like me, we got things to do. It's so much more interesting if you got stuff to do, if you can play with fire or, you know, light candles, go in there, pouring the wine back and forth where the priest can't see you, whatever it is they're in there doing. But it's way more interesting than standing with mom in the congregation. And glory to God. But James is diagnosed with that. And I remember that day, uh, we kind of were thinking about that. And I was uh, in uh, our living room here, and I was kind of looking at James as he was struggling with something. And it caused him problems, you know, in, in classroom especially. And he was having issues. He was, one of the things that manifested, he could not memorize uh, times tables. For whatever reason, those didn't do that. I mean, some of y'all know he's now a, a senior computer programmer, so he's found ways to work around that. But at the time, you know, what do you mean you can't? Five and five is 25, and you can't remember that? I mean, you're just thinking, you know, and, and you're a parent, and you're just learning this stuff, and your mind runs to worries, you know, and you start thinking handicaps, and, and you're just out there, and just learning this stuff and worrying about him, not realizing he's just actually wired like you are, and he'll figure a workaround eventually. And so I remember as I was sitting there, you know, this is sort of a confession of sin. I looked at him and I pitied him. Yeah? Kind of looked at him with pity that he, in a way, it was like a, at the time, it felt like a bubble busting. Because uh, he was my only son, and I was imagining that, oh, he'll be, you know, able to take advantage of my advice. And, you know, and he'll exceed exceedingly well, because I'll be able to point him uh, how to get around all these difficulties that come up and that I had problems with. And he'll do even better than I did. And suddenly... I was realizing it wasn't like that. You know, they're, they're each their own person. They're not little copies of you. They're not out there to fulfill your dreams and to be better. I was just in there. I was in my living room. 
kind of moaning in the middle of the American dream. <laughs> Which, of course, is a lie that my child's got to do better than I did. He already has. But, I mean, just this whole notion of, of excellence and moving from, from greatness to greatness to greatness, oh, from glory to glory, and sort of the dream of our culture. Instead, here's a handicap. You know, some people in our culture, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I will talk about ADHD is not only because I talk too much, which is ADHD, um, but there's, there's people out there who need to know it's okay to have a brain problem. Lots of us do. You know, it's hard to find anybody that's actually typical, neurotypical as they call them. Most of us have got something up there. But I think it's okay to talk about these things. And as you'll see in the gospel today, it's these things, these things that in fact are key to our relationship with God. That day, sitting with my son, doing something stupid like pitying him because I, had, I thought we were failing the American dream, God spoke to my heart. And, and one of about three or four times in my life that was like at the edge of an audible voice. I mean, so clear that it wasn't me speaking to me. I knew who was speaking. And he said, this is for his salvation. And it brought me up short. I looked at him and I thought, who on earth do I think I am that I have any clue what this kid needs for his salvation. God alone knows what he needs. And the American dream is not what salvation looks like. It has nothing to do with salvation other than being a good place to fall from. Then you might get saved. Chances are, if you make it to the pinnacle, you won't be saved. You can't drag those people through the eye of a needle. Yeah, there ain't a needle's eye big enough to get the American dream through it. It just won't fit. It won't fit. Jesus said, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've come for the sick. Now, the deal is, is that I know, and because I've, I've learned this over the years, and I won't talk about my fourth child. I've already spilled the beans on the first three, and so there's that. But, you know, I could spill your beans too, having been confessor here. <laughs> but I'm not. You've, you've already spilled them to God. What I know is, is that like me, like my children, like everyone else around in here, we all qualify for this health plan that Jesus has come. I have come for the sick, not for the well. And last time I checked, you all qualify. You qualify by your sickness. You qualify by your brokenness. You qualify by your need. You qualify by what is not so excellent about you. Paul said, I will boast in my weakness, my infirmity. I will boast in that, not my excellence. He said, because God said to him, Paul was having a little trouble too and was feeling pity because he had been, some demon was torturing him, he said. And he said he prayed three times. I, I, Three times, Paul, you prayed three times and asked God to take it away from him. And God said to him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you need some weakness. You're so excellent. 
Paul was so excellent, God had to send a demon to help him out. I'm sorry, that's in, that's in the book. That's what it says. Paul was so excellent that God allowed a demon to torture him. He called him a thorn in the flesh. We have no idea what was going on, just that Paul didn't like it, and God did, and God left him alone with it because he needed it. He needed to need God. He needed to need God. Jesus has come to us in our need. All of us, or maybe just some of us, are paralyzed. <clears throat> paralyzed in our sin. We, we seem to keep doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm paralyzed in my sin. Uh, I remember someone along the line, not a parishioner, but elsewhere, who was struggling repeatedly with a sin that would bring the confession. And I would keep listening to this, and I keep listening, and failing, and failing, and failing. And I thought, you know, we talked about it. I said, you know, I, I was, God is not responsible or, or the cause of this sin, but I think there's something in it he wants you to learn. You know? We get so caught up on our excellence that we get focused uh, on the very brokenness we have. And, and we, I hear this a lot in confession, the sense that I'm working hard at this and I'm failing and I'm really sorry that I'm failing. You know, and that's kind of the end of confession. And I think, no, 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 that's the beginning of confession. It, it needs to move on to that, to, oh, God, help me. Apart from you, Jesus says to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's so hard for us to realize we're so excellent. We're so excellent. But God is not going to save us by our excellence, but by our weakness. So some of us are paralyzed. Some of us are suffering with an issue of blood, however you want to think of that metaphorically. Some of us are blind. We just can't see. Some of us can't give voice to it. We don't know what it is. And in all of these things, whatever it may be, however your weakness or your sickness afflicts you, in our culture, in our culture, these are the kinds of things we try to hide. Right? We want to make up for these things. We want to compensate for them. Uh, we want to diminish uh, those broken places and do our best to be somebody else. The, the shame that is part of those things, uh, we, uh, we can't bear it. We refuse to bear it. And, but God calls us to bear it. And the people in these stories are so broken, they really can't help themselves. They really can't help themselves. They're so broken that they can just call out, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I mean, blind men come to him. Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? And I think they're thinking to themselves, well, if you can't, I don't know who can. They've come to him, their last and only hope. And so this is, you know, I mean, I, I know that we're not going to walk out of church and suddenly just, you know, be out there <laughs> bearing our weakness for everybody to see. Um, you know, we, we're not quite able to walk like that. Um, but part of what it is for us to be the body of Christ, we are not united to one another in our excellence, 
Uh, I've spoken about this before, it bears repeating. I've seen this over the years in pastoring. They would give out these little measuring instruments to fill out that were gifts and talent surveys. And the idea was to get everybody in the parish to fill it out and find out what they're all good at. This is the American way. This is business management in the church. Find out what everybody's good at and give them those jobs. But I'm thinking, no, this is, orth- this is orthodoxy. We're not an organized religion. <laughs> and we don't want to be. We don't want to be. Um, I, I've thought about that because I have served that parish before with all those gifts and talents, and it's kind of like a colony of hell. Everybody's so excellent, and they've got their bailiwick, and they've got it down pat, and nobody else can tell them anything. You know, what I can see is when the Holy Spirit's at work, He just seems to put the most unsuitable people in the most unsuited places, and they fail. Well, how do you think we're going to get saved if we don't fail? This is, this is the gospel. The gospel is about saving the failing, not organizing the church so that we could succeed. There's a name for that project. It's the Tower of Babel. And there's a lot of Tower of Babel building that passes for religion these days. You know? Somebody succeeds as an athlete. They want him in as a speaker. Somebody is rich and successful. We make him an archon. God, help us. God, help us for doing these things. It's the weak, the poor, the sick, the lame, the blind, the mute. Jesus said, I've come to save. We all qualify. So, If that's who we are and how we are, then we should show mercy to one another. Show mercy to one another. Is a brother or sister falling? Well, it is for their salvation, so be patient with them. God's going to save them in that and through that, and it will help them a lot if you'll love them. If you'll love them and be patient and kind, And perhaps others will do the same for you. Uh, This is our life together. Uh, This is our life. Um, And I've seen this, our life in the Diocese of the South, when we came in in 1998, was a collection of church fronts and worker priests. And um, so far different than my experience had been before. And yet I've seen the work of God in the hearts of men and women as he continues uh, our orthodox life among us. So we're in this chapter. This is, this is our chapter. This is, this is the gospel uh, for us, for people like us. God give us the grace, the grace to admit that we are such people and to call on him that we might be saved. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.